This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm Marilyn Barefoot, your host. Today's episode needs a little setup. My guest is Danny Morgan. Danny is the founder of Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers.com. Danny is not a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, or psychologist. She's a very smart, caring, knowledgeable, brave survivor who talks about her lived experience as the daughter of a narcissistic mother. This episode is a discussion about NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder, specifically in mothers and their daughters. I want to be crystal clear that NPD is a serious mental health disorder. Arguments, disagreements, or a general lack of alignment with your mother from time to time is likely not NPD. Also, narcissists are not all abusers, and abusers are not all narcissists. Danu has bravely dedicated her life to helping people understand and unpack this very complex and insidious mental health issue. I'm truly honored to welcome Danu Morgan to the show. Today, I'm thrilled and I'm actually a little bit nervous because this is going to get real really, really fast, I think, for both of us. To welcome Danu Morgan to the show. Welcome, Danu. Thank you so much, Marilyn. I'm delighted to be here. So I'm going to give a little runway on how you and I almost met. I mean, we haven't met in person because you're in Ireland and I'm in Canada, but I went golfing with a girlfriend and my mother. Now, I'm a terrible golfer, but we tried and it was a nice day out on the course and my girlfriend was a member. And at the end of the day, as we sat around finishing up and having a drink, my mother having scotch and me having water, and Mm -hmm. my girlfriend said to me as we got up to leave, because I knew that if my mother got into more than one scotch, it would get ugly. She said to me, took me aside uh, as we were leaving the club and said, you know, most women think their mothers are crazy, but yours really is. Oh, dear. (laughs) And I thought... You know, she might have something. So I went searching, and then I found you. And I found Mm -hmm. you, and for our listeners, Danu started Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers, which is an online collective group that that you you save people's lives with this, my dear. I'm going to just ask you to talk a little bit about 
starting it, when it started, what it's all about, because it's easier for you to say it than me to say it. Absolutely. And um, just to clarify, it's it's not actually an online group. I did have a forum originally, but I don't anymore. Um, it's just a website in this instance. Okay, thank you. For and that. it's daughtersofnarcissisticmothers.com. And I suppose my story started in a very similar way to yours, Marilyn, in that a friend of mine said to me, oh my God, your parents. <laughs> um, I always kept my friends very well away from my parents. But this one circumstance met, meant that this one friend did meet them. And afterwards, all she could say was, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you said they were difficult, but I thought you just meant average difficult. This is impossible. And I was like, but that was one of the good meetings. Because yeah, as life goes, that was pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. But she was just appalled. And she opened my eyes to it all. I had known I wasn't happy in the relationship with either my mother or my father. But as often is the case with these narcissistic dynamics, I had thought it was my fault and they were mm -hmm. sure to tell me it was my fault. And mm -hmm. I was the one who was oversensitive and I was the one that you were walking on eggshells around and nothing ever made me happy. Mm -hmm. And they put up with me. So why wouldn't I put up with them? But they would never tell me anything specific about what I was doing wrong that I could change. It was this blanket. Well, we put up with you, which was so vague as to be useless. Yes. So when my friend opened my eyes to the dysfunction, it was like a liberation. It was just like she gave me the keys to the kingdom. And about two weeks later, out of nowhere came the thought, oh, my God, my mother's narcissistic. Now, I had known about narcissistic personality disorder because I had been looking into it for another project, but I had only been aware of narcissism where you meet somebody where they do the idealization slash devaluation process where they first of all love bomb you big you up make you addicted to them really and then once you're on the hook they start devaluing you but narcissistic mothers don't do that because we're already born into captivity so they don't have to groom us or seduce us in the first place so I hadn't made the connection until that moment so the thought came oh my god she's narcissistic and it fit like a hand in a glove and I researched it and realized, absolutely, she is. And to my mind, now, I need to stress that I have no qualifications in, in anything and that my mother was never assessed. This is just my best guess mm -hmm. to explain the behaviors and the circumstances and the psychological and emotional abuse. But it does fit. So it's a, even if it's not true, it's a good model. But I, I suspect it's true. Yes. My mother, I would say was she's dead now but she was very quite mild on the spectrum which is another reason it sailed under the radar for so long yeah. and there are far far worse than my mother ever was my mother if you kept her sweet and stroked her and never challenged her and never had any needs or of your own could be very sweet and nice and pleasant mm. other narcissistic mothers are malevolent and malicious and malignant and will go out of their way to hurt you Yes. My mother would never do that. So that was great in a way because it made my experience a lot easier than that of a lot of people, but it made it more hidden in another way. Yes. So once I researched it and realised, and I suppose I'm a writer 
by vocation, by trade, by by my soul. So my response to anything is to write about it. So I set up the website Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers just to, to explore it. And it just grew legs by itself. So that was 2008. So that's that many years ago. And it's still going strong. And I have just recently um, collaborated with another Irish woman called Hazel Catherine Larkin. And we have set up a website called thrivingafternarcissisticabuse.com, which I suppose my website is about information and understanding. And this is about moving on. So that's a really appropriate and natural next step. And I'm really excited to be collaborating with Hazel, who's wonderful, and we're creating great things together. So that's where I am now. So it was, it's was it been a long number of years and not easy in ways as I came to terms with it all and made decisions about my life based on that information. But it has definitely been an adventure and I am, you know, glad to be where I am now with the whole thing. Thank you for sharing because I didn't, I didn't understand Fully. I mean, obviously, I did lots of research on you, which is all stuck up all over my wall here um, <laughs> before we got on this episode today. But thank you. And it's exciting to know that you're collaborating with Hazel, Hazel about yep. thriving. So understanding it and dealing with it and accepting it is one thing. But then the next step is more the healing part, which is which yes. is so so lovely and so freeing. So thank you. I'd love to learn more about that. I wanted to go back to, if it's okay, and and you'll just tell me if there's something you don't want to talk about, it's okay. We just say no. Um, Your writing really began in your teens when you talked about, not on this episode, but in my research, being uh, depressed and bulimic. Yes, um, I suppose I was a. I kept a diary, which I still have, but I have not dared to read again. I mm. kind of feel there is just an abyss of misery there, so I haven't brought myself to get rid of them. But neither have I brought myself to read them. Yeah. But I don't let go of them either. So it's it's an interesting one sitting there lurking in the corner of a cupboard. But yes, and and the thing is about being raised in any toxic way is that we have to deal with it somehow. Yes. And I dealt with it by, well, the depression came. I think that was it. I'm being bulimic and, you know, having addictions. And and in a way, I, I'm a strong believer, really, Marilyn, that addictions get a bad press. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'll clarify what I mean by that now. That is a bit of a dramatic statement, I understand. The fact is that addictions and things like self-harming and bulimia and all those things are a very, very valid response to a completely abnormal situation. They're a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and they do that job very well. The problem is, of course, that they cost so much, you know, bad yes. teeth and, you know, other problems in the case of bulimia, all the, you know, problems with addictions, depending what the addiction is. They cost a lot. But in a way, when you have nothing else, when you don't even know what's wrong with you, as you think, but certainly what's wrong with your life, what else do you do? I I, I feel looking back in my life until I realised this, Back in 2008, I the one word I could apply to my life was floundering mm-hmm. because I didn't know what I didn't know. All I knew is that I wasn't happy and I wasn't right, as in when I say right, as in appropriate or I felt I was the one at fault. And 
you know, I was just trying to figure stuff out, but it was like fighting a cloud because, yeah, because where do you even start? Which is another reason I started writing, because I thought if I can even put words on it, it might help. Absolutely. You know, others realize because the whole thing about the narcissistic abuse, it is so vague and so subtle and so insidious that it's, you know, if somebody slaps you across the face, you know that's happened and there's a mark to show it and there's words to explain it. Right. But this narcissistic abuse is so subtle and insidious that it's it's hidden even from ourselves sometimes. Yes. I wondered about your thoughts on, and then we'll we'll leave the subject of self-harm, mm-hmm. eating disorders, addictions. Do you believe, Danu, that this is uh, something that a child born into the situation does as a form of control because they have really no control over anything else? Or do they do it as a as a punishment to themselves because they feel they'll never be good enough? Yeah. I'm no psychiatrist and, and I wouldn't be the right person to give a, an expert answer on that. But I think it's both. It's control because, yes, there's so little they can control. It's punishment for not being good enough. But also it's a way of expressing the pain, I think, ah, if yes. you're talking about self-harm in a way that is the only in the only way you know because you can't get rid of it any other way. Yes. And with addictions, then it's a way of of damping down the pain. Do you know? Yes, not, not feeling it. It's a painkiller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they provide a nice fuzzy blanket around the pain. Yeah. So it's all of the above, really. So which is why it's such a good solution and such an obvious one for us to take. But of course, as I said, the problem is it's it's so costly in all sorts of ways. Absolutely. These days, people throw around the word narcissism, narcissistic. It's just a, just an adjective, just yeah. just an adjective like, oh, my God. Yeah. That person is so narcissistic, but there's there's such an incredible difference between people who just use it because at a cocktail party, maybe somebody's talking about themselves for a little too much time and you're getting a little bit bored of that. Yes. That's wholly different than narcissistic personality disorder. And again, I'll relate. I'm no psychotherapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist either, Yeah, but I've lived it. The same as yeah. you. And when I found your website and read it, I can't describe the feeling. I had chills up and down my body. I couldn't believe I was actually reading this. It's like, finally, the gods have delivered an answer because every single checkpoint of what is narcissistic personality disorder absolutely lined up with my life experience with my mother. Yeah, yeah. That's it. When when it's... When we, we find the answer and it resonates, it's like a key and a lock. And, and that's why I called my book, You're Not Crazy, It's Your Mother, because up to then people think, oh, I'm crazy. And then they go, oh, I'm not crazy. It's her all along. Yeah. And that is exactly the experience we all have when we realize the truth. Danu, could you perhaps, whatever stories you might like to share, and I'd be happy mm-hmm. to do the same because it's, it's give and take here, maybe relate a story that demonstrates what we're talking about here, your your lived experience. I I found one about your 10th birthday and your mom giving you a purse. So you can that could be one, or maybe you've got something else that you yeah. would like to share so that people who have not, God bless them, grown yeah. up with a narcissistic mother can start to understand what this is. 
Yes, that's a very good question. And even after all these years, I find it hard to give a one sentence answer simply because it is so nuanced and, and um, subtle. Um, yeah, the, the, the story of a purse or handbag, as we call it in yes. Ireland, um, she wanted to buy me a present for my 10th birthday and she decided that a handbag stroke purse would be the thing. Or she suggested it, in fairness, it wasn't. But sure, I was the tomboyest 10-year-old you ever saw, and I no more wanted a handbag. And I no more had anything to put in a handbag, so I kind of said no, and that's when she got cross. And it's all, oh, you're so hard to buy for, and you're impossible. And we were in a small little Irish village at the time. We'd, we'd gone away for a bit of a holiday, and, uh, the, you know, in what would I have been, a set the mid-70s? In Ireland, in a small village, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from anyway. <laughs> but I remember miserably walking up and down this town and the street of it. And not, there was nothing I wanted because there was nothing really designed for 10-year-old girls yes, or 10-year-old anybody's. Um, you know, and she just, but the point was she got crosser and crosser and crosser at me. And I got more and more miserable and felt like I was failing more and more and more, do you know? And I know, I, I, I remember the remember the interview where I shared that and afterwards people were saying, oh, get over yourself, you know, people, people buy wrong presents all the time. And I think that it didn't come across right because obviously, you know, when you're interviewing and this was print media, it had to be kind of edited. So I yeah. understand. But that was it. It wasn't even about the, the handbag or the purse. It was about her attitude where I was in the wrong yet again for being a totally age appropriate 10 year old and not wanting to, you know, I wasn't a girly little 10 year old and some are and that's fine. But I think that sums it up in a way because for narcissists, it's never about who you are as a person. It's about her image of you. And narcissists you can always tell them, I think, because they are dreadful gift givers because they don't know you. So how can they know what you'd like? And I could reel off a litany of inappropriate presents my mother got me that just showed she had no idea. And that is one clue to them, really, is that they, they just don't know who you are and don't care. So, you know, why would they bother? So that's, yeah, that's one aspect. But I agree with you that about the word, because when I first started doing this work, nobody knew what narcissism was, and that had its own challenges. But now everybody knows the words. But as you say, they kind of misunderstand it. And I don't know which is worse. And it certainly is not, it's not just somebody yeah, who, who talks a little bit too much sometimes if they mm -hmm. get excited about a topic and don't read the room. It's a whole way of relating to the world in which you, the narcissist, is the only person that matters, perhaps in their mind, the only real person and everybody else is only a prop. I kind of sometimes think of it, Marilyn, as sociopathy light. They're just, it's just me, me, me to an extreme example. And nobody else's needs are even more important than their whims. Yeah. And that's bad enough anyway, but it's worse if you're the child and they're the mother when they're supposed to be looking after your needs. Um, and that's, that's, part of the, the the toxic dynamic because you're coming with very appropriate needs and they're just not being met and in fact worse than that you get into trouble for having the needs you get disapproved of for having the needs and so on exactly and you're parentified you have to yes. look after her you yes. can't be who you want to be as a like we're used 10 years old as the example we're using but yeah you have to look after her yeah. And certainly some people, some narcissistic mothers take that to an extreme example and, or sorry, I should say an extreme extent. And you'd have to, 
you know, sympathize with her if her relationship breaks up or if she has money worries or, you know, she dumps on you. Now, in fairness, my own mother never did that. But I certainly had to look after her in that I had to be responsible for regulating her emotions, whereas I realize now as an adult, it's up to the adult to regulate their emotions. Supposed to be, but we didn't, neither of us grew up that way. It was our responsibility. And I was like, wait a second, when you figure this out much, much later in life, you realize that's, that was not my job. No, exactly. But you don't know what you don't know. And as a child, you've no other perspective. So how can you know differently? Which is really, really difficult. And the trouble is as well that as a dynamic, it's very poorly understood by the authorities. So certainly, you know, there was nothing bad enough in our house to, to, to get the authorities involved. In fact, my parents were approved to foster and I know many, not personally, but, I, you know, my correspondence, many narcissistic mothers who adopted, you know, they passed all the tests oh because it's so hidden, you know. So it, it's hard for us to navigate because, again, I come back to somebody slapping you across the face. At least everybody knows what that is. But this is the slap across the soul in a way, but it's hidden. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Mm. So can I ask about your dad? Your dad worked yes. for Aer Lingus. That's right. And so you had you had some traveling going on when you were a kid. You got to experience some neato places because once upon a time, a million years ago, I worked for Air Canada, and I remember getting oh, right. oh, remember getting passes because you were part of the flight crew. So after you worked so many hours, you got a flight pass. So yeah. your dad was able to show you did you have siblings Danny I don't remember I did I had three younger siblings yes and and this was a time when um again in the I suppose 70s and up up to the mid 80s perhaps when cheap travel wasn't a thing so and and we weren't well off by any stretch so we would never have got to travel otherwise um but we did and we got to all sorts of places and I really really appreciate it and I, I, you know, fair play to them for that. And one thing I will praise both my parents for, they, if you bear in mind that Ireland at that time was extremely homogenous. Mm. I mean, like 99% Irish white, you know, because yep. we have no colonial past. So there was no cohort of people coming to us. And also we had such a bad economy or after independence that people were leaving the country. Nobody wanted to come. Mm. So, um, so it's changed now and for the better, we're much more diverse and I love it. But so most of my peers would never have met anybody who wasn't, as I say, white, Irish. And so our travel got us to meet a lot of different people. And, and credit to my parents, they were completely unracist and it just met everybody, you know, because they were, yes, yeah, I said, once they were kept sweet, they could be very pleasant. They, you know, they met everybody on their own terms. And I'm very grateful for that. And I wouldn't take that away from them. They They did do that for both the travel and the attitudes towards other people. That's fabulous. And you ended up going into travel of sorts yourself, working at Heathrow for a little while when you moved to London for a piece of time. Yeah, which everybody in Ireland did in the 80s <laughs> because there was no jobs here. Um, yeah, I, for about five years, I think I worked for Swiss Air and Heathrow Airport and I, I had great fun doing that. All right. But it was interesting because I always wanted to come home and maybe that's part of the Irish thing, but also part of me you know, I had I was away from my family, which but not but only by circumstance. And I often wonder how things would be different if I hadn't come back to Ireland, which I did. Um, 
and have been here now, if my maths is right, for 30 years now, I think I'm back. So it's interesting that I was in a whole different country than my parents and I came back. But, you know, that's the way life goes. You do the things you do. Absolutely. And what what role did your dad play in this whole dynamic? Your dad was not narcissistic, but you categorize him as enabling, I think. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Any kindness or affection or attention we got as children was from my father. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I have my memories of I woke at night needing attention as a small child. I only ever remember him coming in. Uh-huh. Now, I can't swear that, that it was only him, but certainly in my memory. And he worked and she didn't. So, if, you know, if anyone should have been coming in, it was her. And I do remember little kindnesses like I used to. If I was cold, he'd put a, an old cot blanket from when the days there was babies in the house yes. on my bed. And but I used to genuinely believe that it only worked if it was right next to you. Um, and instead of arguing or as my mother would have done, shouting at me and storming out, he would remake the bed. And those days it was blankets, not duvets. So there was a certain amount of labour in it. He would remake the bed around the cot blanket so that I was comfy, you know, and that was kind. So, you know, again, I will give my father the credit, but he only ever did what he did as long as it didn't discommode my mother and yeah. as long as it didn't discommode his opinion of my mother he I remember when I was I'm guessing about 14 and my brother 12 we went to him to appeal for him with help with something my mother was doing and I can't remember what it was but I think we must have had right on our side because he didn't argue it on its own merits he just went don't make me unhappy with the wife I've chosen oh I see and that I think sums up his philosophy do you know that came first second and always and any bits that were left over yes he, he absolutely had that for us my dad was the same. Yeah. Very quiet, kind of creeping around and doing lovely things that she wouldn't know about. Yeah. And there's one story, if I can share one with you, just Please. because we're yes. chatting. I had my tonsils out when I was very small. They were, I guess, just runs in the family. They were the size of baseballs in the back of my throat. <laughs> and I think I was about four. Yeah. And back then... When the dinosaurs roamed the earth, you had to go into the hospital and stay for like a few days. Yeah. And all that good, I came home. But it was really sore, especially at night when I tried to sleep. Oh. And I was afraid to ask for help because my mother would get so angry for waking her waking her up in the middle of the night. Yeah. But I, I don't know how, but my dad, in the middle of the night, would get up at, I don't know, two, three in the morning. I guess maybe he had an alarm or something going on. He'd go to the freezer and he would have snuck home some of those little ice creams that came Aww. teeny little little single serves that had the wooden spoon kind of stuck to the top of it. Oh, so you yes, lift yes. off, pull off the little peel top, and then you could eat with the wooden spoon. Yeah. And he'd bring that to me at like two or three in the morning and sit with me while I slowly swallowed the ice cream and then Aww. went back to sleep. I don't know what he did with the packages and I don't know how he hid those things in the freezer, but this was all under the radar. And that's the way he operated because I think he must have been very torn about, do I divorce this woman, which just wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the 60s, it wasn't a thing. You just didn't do that. No. And I think on the other side, he was probably really afraid because if he left, the kids would go to my mom. And then yeah. what? 
if he's not around to sort of at least keep some sanity level in the home, what the hell's going to happen? Yes, yeah. But isn't it madness that he had to sneak yes. to take care of his, his ill daughter? Yes. Yeah, and that's basically how it went. Um, can we talk a little bit, Danu, about, it, certainly it's happened to me, what are the long-term effects of this kind of an upbringing, of having a narcissistic mother upbringing, and you and I both being women, you and I both being daughters of narcissistic yeah. mothers? Is it, So what? What? how does this then play out when you're supposed to be grown up later in life? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. Or maybe I yeah. should ask it as, how did it play out for you? Did you notice some threads back after yeah. you figured it all out going, well, yeah, of course, now that makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. The the good, great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says, life has to be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. And when you do look back, I think everybody, when they look back in their life, they go, oh, that's where I did that. Yes, it makes sense now. Yes. But at the time we were, as I said, just floundering. Um, I have the advantage of, of having corresponded over this these many years with thousands, tens of thousands probably at this stage of daughters of narcissistic mothers. So I feel I do have a good perspective on, on how it impacts not just me, but us all. And obviously the details are different because the details of everybody's relationship with their mother is different, their financial circumstances, their talents and everything. I do think that, and it is a fact that what's called adverse childhood experiences does in fact impact on um, the, the way the brain develops. Oh, really? So to the extent, yeah, because it, it, the, because cortisol is the stress hormone and too much of that stops the brain developing as it should um, because stress, of course, is designed for short bursts of get away from the saber-toothed tiger. Yes. It's not designed it's for, not for I'm living years. in this now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it does impact it does impact on us in different ways um in my experience daughters of narcissistic mothers are either overachievers because they're constantly trying to win their narcissistic mother's approval or underachievers <laughs> because what's the point of trying and and no help was given and and, and I think I would have fallen into the the latter category um I my education was completely messed up. There was no I, I went to school and I went right through school, but there was no never a single conversation about what I might like to do hmm. um in life or any help or any suggestions. And in fact, I remember the way the Irish education system works, you can do two levels of of classes, I suppose. You can go into higher level or ordinary level, it's called. And I said I would try higher level maths because I love maths. Mm-hmm. And very early on, there was a concept that just blew my mind because you get into irrational numbers and they're called irrational for a reason. So they just, you know, my my poor little cogs in my brain just kind of freaked out. And I went, I can't do this. So I moved down to ordinary maths. And that, and but when I look back, Marilyn, not one person, either teacher nor parent, went, no, hang on, why? And can we help you over this? And yeah. it was just, okay, do you know? So that was just one example. Yeah. Um, and I never went to university and I, I only made up for that in 2017. I, I put myself through a year of, of a master's. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And that was a huge healing thing because it was something I'd been aware of, the gap all my life. So it does impact on us all. Um, I think a lot of daughters of narcissistic mothers can be financially unstable, particularly the underachievers, which of course makes sense. If you're yeah. not achieving, you're not yeah. earning. And um, it can help us. Um, you know, we, we can often end up in really bad relationships because it's what we know. 
um, a huge amount of daughters of narcissistic mothers marrying narcissists in turn because we're groomed for it. And I, I, I spent some time with my psychotherapist, Danu, on this subject. Mm-hmm. When you have grown up with that, yeah, why the hell would you be attracted to spend the rest of your life with a partner that's the same? And my psychotherapist said to me, you're doing a dance and you know the steps. Yes. And, and they're comfortable. They're very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. Yeah. And when somebody starts the music, you fall into the dance because it's just this cyclical thing. Yep. And then I read, and it might have been through you, actually, Danu, that like if you marry a narcissist after being raised by a narcissistic mother, is it a way to right the wrongs that happened to you when you were maybe a kid? Because this time I'll get it right. This time I'll do it right. Yeah. Either way, it's it it certainly plays out that way, I think, from people that I've spoken to. Yeah. Um, you're right on all counts, and your your psychotherapist is right on all counts. Um, and, of course, when you say decide and choose, none of this is at an articulated, articulated level. It's all, again, floundering. It's all blindly doing what what, what you know. Mm. Um, there is a very interesting writer called Harville Hendricks. Okay. Who has written a book called Getting the Love You Want, in which he, he discusses exactly that. We marry the person who replicates the challenges of our childhood in a this time we'll get it right sense. And of course, this time we don't get it right. So it's it's doomed to failure. Um, and again, the narcissists, I think we have a kind of, um, we give out that we're very eager to please and that we are, you know, we want to please because that's what our narcissistic mothers taught us. So narcissistic partners kind of zoom in on that yeah. and it's, it's a perfect match for them, of course. So that can be very, very difficult. Um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I, I did not marry a narcissist myself and I'm very grateful for that. But I, I have to say, I think that was way more better. Good luck than judgment. <laughs> you know, again, we weren't articulating. We were any of us. We're just trying to figure out life. Yes. You, um, Danu, thank you. You you went no contact with your mother, NC, as it's called in the in the terminology. Yeah. Um. And I didn't realize until you mentioned it earlier in this uh, chat that uh, she'd passed away. But mm-hmm. how long were you, did you go without any contact whatsoever with your mom? Um, seven years, maybe. Um, again, sorry, d- dates, but around that anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair. And she died without me ever having been in contact with her again. Um, and, you know, I have peace about that because... It was the only way it could be for everybody's sanity. I wasn't going to go back and meet her and insist on speaking my truth because narcissists can't hear it and it would only distress her. And why would I do that to an elderly woman? But neither was I going to go back and be complicit in lies about myself or about the situation. Do you know, I know she didn't think that. I'm sure. um, But in a way, I was doing her the favor just as much as I was doing me. Yes. Not even the favor, the necessity, but yeah. You had to survive and you had to get rid of that toxicity because I know that um, you get asked a lot, I think, about, well, what happens when these mothers get older? 
And what happens when there's aging and what happens when they pass away? And if you're no contact, are you supposed to go back? And in all of that. So it's interesting. It's, It's always interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. It's something I think about a lot, Marilyn. And one of the well, how can I put it? Something I've been exploring very recently is the whole concept of stories and how we as individuals tell ourselves stories. And of course, we daughters of narcissistic mothers tell the stories we've been taught, which is that we have to please other people and yes. we have to keep her happy and all that. But that also society has stories. And, you know, if you look at it, economics is a story we all agree on. Um, okay, and different people have different views of economics, but, you know, the left wing has this story and the right wing has this story. Each holds to its own story. Mm-hmm. Um, politics is a story. Everything, everything is a story. It's, it's something we agree on. But society often gets stories wrong. And, and you know, we, we come from in the West from a society that used to think it was okay to own other human beings as property. Yes. And that was a wrong story. And, you know, that women couldn't vote. And, yeah. you know, there's a million stories that society held that are not true and not correct. So just because society thinks something doesn't make it true, it makes it insidious, it makes it overwhelming, it makes it, you know, we absorb it without even realising, but it doesn't necessarily make it true. And I'm very interested by, you know, the philosopher Schopenhauer who said uh, all truths, and by truths he meant stories, go through three stages. First of all, you know, new truths, new stories. First of all, they're ridiculed. Second, they're violently opposed. And thirdly, they're accepted as self-evident. And it's Mm -hmm. so true because if somebody comes up with a new idea, like, let's give women the vote. People go, the very concept. Bless. Ridicule. And ridicule it. You're like, uh, you go away and don't worry your little pretty head about it. But then as the new storyteller says, no, no, I mean it. I really mean it. Then it becomes violently opposed and people have died to give bring women the vote. People have died to stop slavery. People have died in all sorts of ways because pe- the people who are invested in the in the original story really keep to it. And then once it becomes the weight of it becomes that it's in society and it's now society's new story. It's like, well, duh, of course, women have the vote. Of course, we don't own yeah. people as slaves like duh. You know, it's like we have this collective amnesia. And back in the 50s and so, like before your time and mine, but, you know, certainly not before us hearing about it, women, for example, couldn't leave violent husbands. The story was you made your bed, now you lie in it. Yeah, till death do us part, no matter what the hell that looked like. Absolutely. Exactly. And now we have a story which is, no, you shouldn't stay with a partner who's abusive. But we're still living the story that you have to stay with an abusive mother. Yes. And I offer to you and to your listeners and to everybody, that is just a story. And it just because it's pervasive doesn't mean it's true. And I offer the story, which is you shouldn't have to stay with anybody who's an abuser and them being related to you does not change that. So if you cut off contact, um, yes, she will get older. That's, that's the way things work. Yes, she will die. And that is also the way things work. It doesn't mean you have to put up with decades more abuse just because she will die at some stage. Um, Because you think about it, you know, you have to offer your, if you take this story, offer yourself up as some kind of sacrificial lamb on the altar of society's beliefs. And so that once she dies, you can say, well, at least I, you know, I stood by her. But this is somebody who is being abusive to you. It's not as if somebody, God forbid, gets, you know, injured and is now handicapped. That's different. Yes, You stay with them, even though it's difficult, but at least they're not being malicious to you. But somebody who is choosing of her own free will to abuse you, I would argue, does not get to keep you around just because society says so. Exactly. 
Did it make a difference that you were the eldest child, Danu? I wouldn't imagine. So, of course, I've only ever been the eldest child, so I don't know how it would have been differently. But um, women who write to me come from all places in the family. Okay. You, the narcissistic mothers can absolutely have favourites, which are called golden children mm. or um, scapegoats, which are called scapegoats. Yeah. But I d- don't think it. there's no hard and fast rule about who fills those roles. She could prefer boys over girls or she could prefer girls over boys or she could prefer elder ones or who knows, you know, what goes on in their minds. So, no, I don't see any passion based on either gender or position in the family. I just didn't know. And the reason I asked the question was really twofold. Number one, did you feel when you were growing up that it was your job to protect your siblings because you were the eldest? No. No, I think not. Because again, I didn't realize there was anything to protect them from. Yeah, of course. Nothing there that would have indicated this is just what life is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I also, um, I've got some quotes here from Dr. Pat Frankish, clinical consultant, Mm -hmm. um, who describes you as follows, and I'm going to read this. Someone in Danu's situation has had her identity, her vitality, and her energy sapped And if she stays in touch, so going back to no contact with the person who's taking all that from her, she'll be unable to maintain a sense of herself. So I think personally, going no contact, full self-admission, this July the 17th will be three years for me with my mom, who's now 90, um, that you, you get to a point where you realize you have to save yourself. You have to survive. The toxicity completely, you're unaware of the toxicity and the harm that that you're doing to yourself just by being around this. And that when you you break from it, things start to change miraculously. Yeah, absolutely. But you don't know that until you've done it. And in a way, it's like throwing yourself off a cliff and learning to fly on the way down because you literally cannot imagine what it's like to be out of that toxicity when you've known it literally from the moment of your birth. And society is telling you not to do it. And, you know, it's 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 very difficult to make the decision to do it. Sometimes doing it is easy. Deciding to do it is not. But he said something about reclaim your sense of self, I think, if that. But, you know, it's 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 not even about reclaiming. It's about finding it in the first place because you're never let be yourself. You don't know who you are because no. you have to you have to be the best reflection of her, if yeah. you will, like a bowling trophy. Yeah. I always describe yes. it as the bowling trophy. Yeah. As possible. There's a there's a photograph of my mom and me when I was too tiny, I guess, to be able to walk, but I guess it was the christening. Okay, so after the christening in the United Church, uh, there was a tea at my grandmother's house. And there are all these pictures of all these women with all these pretty fine bone china teacups. And my mom in the most over-the-top outfit, of course, to draw as much (laughs) attention to herself as she could that I can see now, holding me, carrying me around like a bowling trophy. Like, oh, look. Yeah. And for me, the breaking with a distinct break was when I could walk and when I started to be my own person, yeah. she was insanely jealous of any attention that I got as I was no longer viewed by the world so much as an extension of her as I was my own little person. And there was 
the beginning of the fray, if you will, that pulled it completely apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, narcissistic mothers can often be very good with babies because they treat them like toys, exactly, and you get a lot of attention when you're a new mother and everything. But, uh, yeah, let that young baby become its own person. Whoa, that's where the trouble starts, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, Danu, I believe that perhaps there are some people out there in the big world that are listening to this that can relate to some of these stories. And maybe we have, together through this conversation, Maybe we've been there aha moment around, oh my God, maybe yeah. that's actually what happened to me the day that I found your your website. Yeah. So what would you recommend? How 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 can these folks, what can they do? I don't want to leave people saying, yeah, well, that was my story. And and now what? Like now what do I do? So in your wise best words, what would you recommend people do if they recognize that this has been their history or currently is their history? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would suggest going to my website, daughtersofnarcissisticmothers.com and learning and, and obviously other resources as well. Um, and that does seem to be the pattern I know for myself and for others. It's it's about you soak up information mm. and then you kind of... Um, absorb it and then it's it's weird I don't know if you had this Marilyn but for me it was like these awarenesses for about three months kept popping up like little bubbles ah oh, that what was going on the day she got cross when I wouldn't buy a, a, a handbag for my birthday or, I describe them to my psychotherapist as postcards from the edge that like yes. a, like a postcard in the middle of the night would drop in with a picture of myself in some situation with like almost a full explanation now on the back I'm like oh yes the pieces are coming together. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is a wonderful experience, but very disconcerting because when you realize this truth, you can't unknow it. Um, and as the writer Gloria Steinem said, you know, the truth will indeed set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> and um, she's very right because it's like, now that I know this, I can't unknow it. Yeah. So it's freedom, but it's it's challenging as well. And so I would suggest, yeah, learning and taking your time, you know, and we were talking about no contact and everything, but absolutely, I would urge people, take your time. There is no pressure to make any life-changing decisions. Now, if it's right, if you do it, I'm not saying not to, yeah. but I'm just saying, do what you want to do at your pace. Let it be about you and your needs. There's no right or wrong. There's no timetable. There's nobody standing with a stopwatch and a tapping foot saying, come on, get with the program. You know, it's your life and it's up to you to do what's right for you. And however that looks, that's that's the trick. But make sure it's your life, not your mother's life. Yes. And and I think find a counsellor, a, a psychologist, a psychotherapist or somebody yeah. that you feel professionally maybe might be able to help you, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it worked well for me, but that's really up to you, to the person yeah. themselves. What do you think, Daniel? I think that can be very good. But if I can give a little plug, yes. one of the things I have noticed again over my years and thousands of correspondence is that some therapists can be really bad. Some can invalidate you and say, ah, oh, she's your mother. Of course she loves you and yes. all that. Yes. So absolutely make sure you get a therapist who knows about narcissistic personality disorder. And the plug is that myself and Hazel 
are shortly going to run a workshop on finding the right therapist for you. Oh, great. So if they go to the website thrivingafternarcissisticabuse.com, okay. they can sign up there to be notified. We'll have it. We're hoping to run it in the next little while. But yet a good therapist is worth their weight in gold. So we are absolutely both fans of good therapy, but make sure it's good therapy. Um, so yes, absolutely. If they feel it's right to get a good therapist, absolutely that can be a thing. Because there's a lot to untangle. Oh, yes. And, it's like you've been wearing sunglasses all your life and suddenly you take it off and ah, it burns, it burns because everything is so bright suddenly, do you yeah. know? Um, and the brightness is lovely, but it takes a while to get used to. And you can, if you choose, make changes then to your personal experiences, such as contacts, such as jobs, such as, you know, everything based on this new information. Um, but don't feel you have to do it in a hurry because... No, there's no deadline. Know, there's a lot to process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And above all, be gentle and kind to yourself. That should apply anyway. But, you know, it's a time of great change. So be, be very kind to yourself. And we don't know how to do that. No, but that's one of our challenges. That's one of the new things we're going to do now in this new knowledge. It feels great, but it feels at first, self-love, self-care yeah. feels so wrong. Yeah. Because we're basically told, oh, don't be so selfish or self-centered or any of those things, right? Yeah. But when you can finally get your head past, that's not being selfish. That's just being healthy towards yourself. It feels lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the whole thing about it being wrong, that's just another story we were told and it's not true. Exactly. I get your your outbound communication. I won't call mm-hmm. it a newsletter. It's not a newsletter. It's an out- no. What do you call it, Danu? I call it the guidebook to healing and thriving. Okay, excellent. I get that in Canada on Saturday morning. Grant. And I I guess maybe that's the section of the of the outbound list that I'm on, but I love Saturday mornings and I look forward to them because I get myself a huge cup of coffee and I nestle into the couch without specific deadlines on a Saturday morning. And every single time I learn something, every single time. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. And again, people can sign up for that guidebook on my website. If um, Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers, it's all there. Thank you for saying that. I do put a lot of effort and heart and soul into those because I suppose I want I want freedom for us all. And that's my mission. And that's what I you know pour into those Danu, how many people get those? I, I was always wondering of of like, is there not is it five hundred people? Is it ten thousand people? How many people? Yeah, it's nearly ten thousand. Oh. Yeah. Bless yeah. you for your bravery. Yeah. Well, thank you. It is hard, you know, Marilyn and, and even do you know, it's hard to be out and proud about this stuff because it's sure. very shameful and it's very secret and it's about families. And so I appreciate you saying that. Um, it certainly hasn't been the easy road, but it's certainly been the rewarding road in that sense. And as a life purpose, Danu, I can say unequivocally, you have changed my life. Oh, Marilyn, thank you. <laughs> this is my first time ever seeing you face to face. Yeah, yeah. But just... I, it's probably been 10 years for me since I discovered you mm-hmm. about that. Wow. That moment of, oh my God, this woman unzipped me and looked inside my soul <laughs> with the checklist of all the things that yeah. I had experienced as a kid. Yeah. But I, as I say, I, I crave that email drop every Saturday morning and every single time I learn more about the situation, about myself, and I'm able to piece yeah. more things together. So if you're ever feeling like, yeah, 
it's really tough to be brave and to be out there yeah. and to be speaking like this to the world because it ain't like the brochure, because it sure as hell ain't. No. You've made such a huge difference and continue to do. And I'm so excited about your next endeavor. Yeah, well, thank you, Marilyn. And we are too, because it just, yeah, the more we can provide resources that help women escape. I often think of it as like somebody going over the wall, like a prison break. Yeah. Except the prison is in your mind. Yeah. Um, now, not always in fairness. Sometimes the narcissistic mothers, you know, can have financial ties or whatever, but mostly it's in the mind. Yeah. So, but it's equally a, a prison break because the prisons of the mind can be just as strong as walls. So I get great satisfaction when people say to me, okay, and you know, when people email me and say, oh, I'm going to college now, or I'm starting a new job, or I've moved across the country, and you know, which of course in somewhere like Canada is a lot more than say in Ireland where it's such a puddle. <laughs> you know, if you move across the country, it's only a, it's only a short distance. But um a but even so, move. you know, I move's a move. Exactly. And I just feel like a proud mama when people do that because I'm like, go girl. Now Danny, you have a son. I do. Yep. Yep. David is his name, and he is 25. Wow. And he's lovely, though I say so myself. <laughs> I know I might be a bit biased, but... Of course he is. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things, actually, a lot of narcissists, sorry, a lot of daughters of narcissistic mothers choose not to have children because they're scared of passing it on. This is my sister. Yeah. And, and you can totally see it. I can totally see why. And again, I had a child because I didn't know enough. I still wasn't out of the, the, the fog or the bubble at the time. I think if I'd known more, I would have chosen not to. But in a way, I'm glad I didn't. But I was very lucky. I, I was very keen to breastfeed. And I went to an organization called La Leche League. It's an American organization. I've heard because of it. Because again, yes, back have. in the, this would have been the 90s, um, Ireland was very low on breastfeeding. Didn't didn't approve. Didn't didn't promote. Yeah, I, yeah. Our cultural history with the Catholic Church, I think, and um, oh. we've got a big dairy industry that pushes formula oh. and 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 lots of reasons. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and um, so you'd never see it around. You'd never learn it from your friends organically, you know. So I went and um, and I was so grateful because I did get a lot of help with breastfeeding. But they also taught me how to be a mother. Because they model really lovely parenting skills and uh, and they're not about letting children go wild. They talk about loving discipline, you know, yeah. so discipline is in there as well. But they taught me how to be a mother and I will be forever grateful for them for that. So I'm, I feel very lucky. Plus my desire to do well, I suppose. And, and unlike, you know, like your sister, I didn't want to repeat it. And so I made sure I didn't. Um, and I, I so even my my father once said, "Yeah, we see you raise your son with a lot more sensitivity than we raised you." And I'm going, "Yeah, thank." <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the great thing is, I think I had always thought, without thinking it, that once you got to be a child, once sorry, once your child got to be an adult, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. So it's a constant source of delight and joy for me that my son just loves my company and he loves cuddling me and he, you know, he's all, you know, we're really good buddies. Um, and that's such a gift that I hadn't even expected. I didn't realize you could have a good relationship with your adult child. And it's like, wow, you can. Amazing. Yeah. I didn't learn how to be a good parent. Okay. Um, I'm not, I don't believe, I mean, you'd have to ask my kids. Yeah. Um, am I a narcissist? No, I I don't. I think I'm the farthest from thing from it because I'm very aware of that. But you can't give what you didn't get. Yeah. And I had no, I had no modeling. And obviously, I, I i mean, not obviously, but my breastfeeding was 
fine. So I didn't have yes. to seek out any any help. So yeah. I didn't I figured all this just because you have a kid, you know how to be a mother. And yeah. I wasn't a great mother. I don't think. I mean, well, that's hard, Marlon. I tried, but I think that there'd been so many crappy modeling situations yeah. that had happened. Like I never, yeah. never did to my kids what my mom did to me, but well, but still go. I just didn't really know how to be very terrific at being maternal or even yeah. the discipline, right? I didn't, the loving discipline that you quote. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say I wasn't a perfect mother by any stretch. You know, I can certainly point to things I did that I shouldn't have done and things I regret. It's not that, you know, and I think sometimes daughters of narcissistic mothers and other victims of abuse, we go too far. We think we have to be perfect to be mothers. Hey, that's true. And yes. we can be very hard on ourselves. And I think if you love your children and are willing to admit wrongdoing to them. Yes. I think that's 99% of it. And that you know, we don't have to be perfect. Well, there you go. That so I think you're being... You know, if I may say, quite hard on yourself there, which perhaps is unfair. I'm still a student of yours, Danu. <laughs> oh, thank you. Do you know, and, I, and I'm still learning every day, do you know? Yes, I, we all I, are. I, I, my life is still a model in many ways. I'm still floundering in some ways, though not nearly as much as I was. You know, I still have issues with eating. Um, do you know, I'm still finding my way. And so I keep going and keep learning, both for me and, and for anyone else who cares to, to, to listen. But... It's a, you know, I sometimes I think it takes us our whole life to create our whole life. And so that's the human condition as well, isn't it? It is. And thank you for saying that, because I think we all have to be reminded of that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as we draw this to a close, then, Danu, how can the listeners of Breaking Brave, how can we support you in the great work and the great things that you're doing? Because yeah. I want you to feel propped up by people that you've helped continue yeah. to help and maybe some new people who are hearing this for the first time and realizing, wow, and you're helping them. So how can we support you moving forward? You're very good. Um, gosh, that's that's an interesting question, which I hadn't thought of. By all means, spread the word. Okay. Um, and that's less about propping me up and about propping the work up, because the more people who know about this, the more people can can escape from this abuse. Um I think the more people who talk about, because it's like a taboo to say mothers are bad. and she, yeah. We're coming up to Mother's Day in Canada next Sunday, aren't we, in America? Absolutely, yeah, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing. Now, we have it here in Ireland in March, but it's not even as big a deal as I believe it is over there. And it's like we're worshipping at the altar of this perfect mother. Our society is still buying into that story. And every, and oh God, the, Marilyn, the emails I get at this time of year, and oh. it's just horrific because they're like I don't want to see her but I have to and it's yeah. you know it's it's ridiculous so the more we can start a movement where we you know again out and proud say it loud mothers are not all good yeah there you go that would be the biggest thing because as it is daughters of narcissistic mothers were fighting I, I, I say it's an invisible abuse on three levels the first is the mother doesn't think she's abusing anybody because narcissists think they're perfect yes the second thing is the daughter doesn't think she's being abused because she's told it's her fault and she believes it. Yes. And the third thing is society doesn't think it's abusive because mothers are perfect. Yeah. So the more on a society level we can change at least the third one, that people don't go, ah, I'm sure she didn't mean it that way. When you try and explain the better. So that would be, if, if your listeners, and to each of you listening to this, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to me for this past hour. But the more we can tell the truth and shame the devil kind of thing about 
No, not all mothers are good. Just because they're mothers, it doesn't automatically make them saints. That would be the biggest step. And come to my website and sign up for my newsletter if you would like and you mm. think you get value from it. Tell your friends about it. That would be really good, both for me and for the continued work. Thank you, Danu, for chatting with me. Thank you for chatting so openly, honestly, being so brave and so giving and for making such a difference in so many lives. Well, Marilyn, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.